with a seven. Vespa! Finn reaches out and grabs Magrin's shoulder, just kind of gets a hold of himself. It takes a minute, but yeah, you finally get a grip. Wow, that whole experience was not you. Like, you were she, she was we, and he was me, and we were all together. Depending on how close everyone is, which, if you move closer, you will hear sobbing. He looks at his aunt and says, it means something to her. You ought to give it back. She's going to kind of under her breath go, I think you may be right. She shrugs her shoulders and picks up the horn and the box, and she starts walking towards Hawthorne. This has acquired a bit of an audience because, well... If she sees the villagers looking at her, she just continues walking with poise as much as she can, and she doesn't want to deal with the others. Well, she's... She's headed in the right direction anyway. I, I do suppose that we should probably go after her, maybe? Well, yeah, but we might want to give her some space. Follow at a safe distance, I would say. Welcome to Runelanders. I'm Matt Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master, and so it's my job to let you know that Runelanders contains mature themes, adult content, coarse language, and things that might offend sensitive listeners, and so listener discretion is strongly advised. Now, if that sort of thing is your sort of thing, then thrill to these tales of terror in a town called Tallwater, far away in the west. It's the sort of place that has a space for the good and the bad and the worst and the best, and the sane and the mad and the cursed and the blessed. If not at its university, at least in its menagerie. What weirdness will these academic adventurers uncover in this Eldritch episode? Well, I could tell you, but we'd rather show you we're the Runelanders. This is Tallwater Tales. So get ready, runatics, and let's roll. The credits roll as this procession, the tall human, the stout and burly dwarf, the fey yet athletic elf, and the eccentric halfling follow the white fiend up the path. As you wind your way back up the occasionally mercenary staircase to Hawthorne Hill, you wind around the last corner and see the house framed by its iron fence against a slate gray sky, which is as yet withholding rain. Although the house is lit by the many full to the brim lightning jars, which sit atop the iron fence. It casts a weird sort of electric blue glow on everything. How many charged jars did I get? Two dozen. I'm just standing there with my jaw down and a gigantic grin slowly starts to stretch my beard. At least something went well last night. Now, the whole front of this yard is chewed up with a bunch of footprints as though a bunch of people had run up here and back recently a few times, right? And from what you all recall of last night, there was a bunch of people in and out and movement and things, people getting lifted and bodies being moved. And by the time everything stopped moving, you were in the carriage house across the street. So, I mean, there is physical evidence of that. Uh, Garnack, are you collecting the jars yet? Yeah, I completely forgot about everything else. As Garnack moves along this iron fence, every step 
makes this kind of squeak stomping noise, you know, rustling through the tall grass of the property. Now, Garnack, something you didn't notice before, it looked like a fountain in the backyard that was clogged with, you know, scrub, like one of those water gardens that had become overgrown. Surprisingly, as you go squeak stomping across the backyard, a bird flies out of there. I whistle loud, trying to get uh, Finn and the others' attention and gesture over towards the fountain. Vesper, you're not too far away, so when Garnak whistles, your attention is instantly on him. You whip your head around and see that there's a wood grouse flapping its way towards the mainland. Vesper watches it fly and licks a fang before turning and looking at the fountain from where it came and slowly starts walking over to it. The rest of you hear the whistle from around the back with a little bark from Garnak to follow it up. Finn sees Garnak's gesture and I'm going to approach the direction he was gesturing, the fountain, uh, slowly keeping my attention open to see if I can notice anything untoward. I'll walk up to the fountain and see if I can figure out what's inside of it or where it leads. Okay, so as you walk up to the fountain, it... You know, it, it should just be one of those ponds you figured two, three feet deep at best, right? When you get over to it, you see that there is a, well, the net is made of old wire. And it's uh, it's rusty as hell, but it's still holding. And most of this scrub and brush are like air plants, that sort of thing. Looking down, you see that there is a sort of patio set into a natural grotto in the island beneath the house. Is it just flat and walled off, or does it seem to lead anywhere? It seems like a natural grotto that, well, since there's furniture down there and, and a path uh, that you can see kind of, like the light is screwing up your dark vision. It's too bright to get a good view of the dark, you know? Like the, the, the shadows are still demarcated. But you can see that there's like flagstones on the one end of the grotto anyway, like interlocking paving stones. Guys, I think I might have found something. Do we have to walk down a path to get into the grotto, or can we just walk into the grotto? Well, from here, you'd have to climb down in, because there doesn't seem to be any access. How tough does a climb look? Probably 20 feet from the top, from where you stand to the bottom. Decent handholds, footholds, things like that? If you had a grapple or a like a, a rope or anything, it, it would be nothing to tie it off to the fence. It wouldn't be too hard to get down, is all I'm saying. Vesper reaches into her bag and pulls out a silk rope, and she passes one end to Finn and says, Finn, would you tie this off for me, please? Are you heading down there first? We shall see. At least to have the option of getting down there. Yeah, so I'll look around for a stump or a bush or something I can tie it off with and then dangle the rest of the rope down. The fountain is kind of like acting like a skylight into the room, I'm guessing. That's what I'm picturing. Exactly. It, it turns out it just looks like a fountain. It's actually a skylight. Great. So, so yeah, so Finn's going to just look for a root or a stump or something he can tie it off on, and then we'll, we'll get a, a rope going down. No problem. There's actually a few stout trees around the property, and none of them too far away. You can't quickly tie it off. The sun breaks the mountains in the east, and uh, it looks like it's going to be a nice day around these parts. The uh, birds fly back out to sea, and... It, it's just a nice day there as you're tying off the rope. Throw it down into the hole and everybody else is standing around. There's a, a stiff breeze coming in off the water. Anyone want to try it first? Or shall I go? Vesper, I'm going to request that uh, you not go first. What if I had done first? Take a look around. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm used to this sort of environment. Perhaps no one should go alone. Do we have another rope? We don't need another rope, Professor. 
Uh, amateurs. Okay. I pull out my net, uh, the magnet, and just kind of whip the thing out and see if I can get about a quarter of it to uh, latch on anything near the edge of the hole and just toss the rest of it down into the down into the grotto. You'd have to unpack it from the can and uh, and then like use some pittons or something. There's nothing magnetic around. It's all like masonry and stonework buried under years of neglected yard work. Tragic. I'll drop down first. Vesper, you follow me and we'll watch each other's backs, make sure the room's safe before everyone else can follow. I'll cover you from the top. All right. Sounds like a plan. The camera cuts to the inside of the grotto, and it's dark, very dark, shadowy as hell, in fact. There's a bright light from the hole and the foliage over top that Garnack and Finn and everybody have just punched through, and the uh, rope drops down, and then a second later, Finn slides down the rope, and a few seconds after that, like he steps off to the side and looks around, lets his eyes adjust to the gloom. A few seconds after that, Vesper slides down after him followed by Juro, then Magrin, and finally, Garnak. Those of you who can see in the dark, your eyes are adjusting to the dimmer light down here. Magrin, you're flipping through these settings on your spectacles. You really should have read that book a little closer. Or brought it with you, at least. These damn newfangled things. One of these can let you see in the dark, you're sure of it. I pull out a pair of goggles and hand them to Magrin. These ought to do it. They don't look very nice, but you'll be able to see. They'd be large, bulky goggles with a strap that goes around your head, which would probably... Your hair would probably be bulging out in like four different places from the strap, but when they're on, you could actually see in the dark. Um, I will carefully take my multi-lens spectacles off and put them in my bag, and I will put on uh, Garnock's goggles... These are really a bit of a hassle, you know. We should just figure out how the lens works on my glasses next time we have some downtime. They look great. They they look great. Right, guys? Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. I walk away quickly. them. Magrin's currently trying to pull the extra hair out of the strap because it's very constrictive, um, but it, she just seems to be making the mass bigger and frizzier and more out of control. So everybody's having a, a bit of a snicker at this and looking around and being very businesslike. So roll initiative, would you please? Seven. Thirteen. Sixteen. Ten. I have seven, thirteen, sixteen, ten. Ten is also ten. All right. Sixteen. You're down in the room... Now that your eyes are adjusting, this was obviously a sitting patio with some beautiful plants in it, like ferns and jars and palms and even like some exotic specimens not native to here. Some of these have overgrown, but those not indigenous to the area don't fare well here. So those ones which can't be invasive species just die. There's a lot of dead vegetation in pots or fragments thereof with dirt and refuse scattered on the floor. Magrin. Yeah, she would actually like to look at what plants were um, being attempted to grow here um, in case she knows of any of their um, backgrounds for purposes of, you know, weird rituals or maybe getting some background on the people who lived here. Do you want to roll nature or medicine for that? Nature's better. I'll roll nature. That would be a nat one. So total of eight for a fail. A lot of these things are like, they're mainly twigs now, right? Something off about that. 13 would be Vesper. Vesper, same thing. Nature or medicine. That is a 17 on a nature check. Okay. Now you're not from around here, but dead plants don't 
move, do they? The minute I see things moving, I am going into defensive position and pulling Magrin away from the plants. Magrin, no. What a curious reaction. Flare it ten. Do I notice the plants moving? What's your passive perception? Twelve. Yes. I will take Vesper's cue and also back away from them slowly, pulling out the five, well, now four and a half pound bag of saltwater taffy and dropping it on the ground. The taffy hits the floor with a splat as the paper bag lets go and the various pieces scatter. Some of it is still in the bag, though, right? Finn? Can I see what the room looks like? It's a dome-shaped sort of thing. It's irregular and natural, but, uh, like, I mean, the walls have been cleaned up. The floors have been, obviously, all the scattered stones have been picked up, and it's been filled and paved and turned into, like, a sitting grotto. Somewhere to get you out of the sun that's still outside and in the air, you know, like you would have for a, a convalescent sort of person. Now... There is a rustling and a movement of the plants. Everybody kind of jumps back from this. What's your passive perception? Minus 13. Do you want to make a nature roll as well? If you'd like. Total of 15. Okay. You see the plants sort of shiver and shake and curl up a bit, and then like this frond of an old fern... And then it kind of falls off, and uh, a big rat, uh, two or three pounds, goes skittering by along by your foot and like runs over your boot and then down into the darkness. And as you follow where it goes, it runs off down a tunnel, which you hadn't noticed before because it's behind a hanging piece of cloth, which blends in perfectly with the gray of the wall in your dark vision. Was it a abnormally sized rat or just a big rat? A very well-fed wharf rat. Nothing to worry about, folks. Just some rats. Are the plants still moving? Perception. 18, sorry. Perfect. I'll tell you when it's your turn next. Garnak, you're still here at the bottom of the round? I probably jumped about six inches when the rat jumped out, and now I'm just looking around trying to see if I could see anything around us and pointing my gun in probably a lot of unsafe directions as I do so. Okay, so now that you're standing in the dark, you can see that there are two ways out of here. One at the far end of the room from where you are. It's like kind of they're, they're at opposite corners, you know what I mean? It's natural stone, not work stone. Right, if somebody's obviously built some kind of patio out here, if this were a traditional one, like from back home, um, the the open air would just be like an access to a forge level or something like that, and there would be like some decorative mushrooms and all this sort of thing. The whole family could look down from the bigger house carved into the other cavern, that sort of thing. This looks like a clumsy attempt to mimic that sort of style of architecture in like with a human spin and neither one works very well however you see that there are access passages off of here one going either way from here it goes north east and the other one goes southwest i probably look to finn and gesture towards the doors and really just try and keep my eyes open for anything else that's coming which direction is the house in from here? The house is kind of over top of you to the north. Does it look like either of the two passageways lead towards it? Yes, the northeast passageway leads to the house. Okay. Whose turn is it? We're at the top of the round. 16 for Magrin. Um, I'm not really sure what I want to do here. Um. What the hell is that over in the corner? 
There's a bundle of rags over there, Magrin, and it looks to be like human-sized, almost human-shaped. Yeah, now that you see it, into the darkness with these new goggles, you can see that there's a body over in the corner there. I'm going to let the group know uh, that there is indeed a body in the corner. It might be um, some kind. We've been dealing with a lot of undead, so she's probably thinking it's not alive. Um, She'll pull out um, a dagger and uh, gesture to someone to follow her to investigate. Okay, this happens. Uh, Next up is Vesper at 13. Vesper sees where Magrin is going and will follow her, not pulling out her sword as of yet, because she knows that will mess with Magrin's eyes, but just preparing for any sort of attack to come. Okay, so Vesper steps out of the light, and as we see her disappear into the shadow, the last part of her which disappears into the dark is her twitching white tail. Next, Juro. So were the plants still moving? No. It appears that the rat was making his way through them and they were just moving because of that. Perhaps that's what Garnak thinks anyway. Was the rat coming from the direction of the pile of rags that Magrin yes. and Vesper are heading towards? Indeed. Vesper, Magrin. Be careful. And I'm going to ready a little moat of flame between my thumb and middle finger, ready to flick it at a moment's notice. Make a wisdom saving throw. That'd be a three. Actually, that's a natural one, so. Well, do you want the good news or the bad news? Why not? I'll take the bad news and the good news should cheer me up. You are frightened and paralyzed. I'm ready for that good news anytime now, Adam. There is no damage from this, as it is not technically an attack. (laughs) This wave of overwhelming fear washes over you like there's something terribly wrong you've come to the wrong place entirely this place is there's nothing good here (laughs) we we gotta go Finn you're up you're up professor does he have fire in his hands did the spell succeed he lit the moat and then he just kind of blanched and the fire went out so I think Finn probably would not notice that Jiro is abnormally frightened. He would probably think he's just frightened. And so he is going to follow Vesper towards the body and draw his knife. Okay, so you follow Vesper toward the body and draw your knife. Garnak, what are you up to? Did I recognize any type of magical effect that hit Juro? Nope. Okay. So I just see a scared elf. All of a sudden, he's like, this isn't a good, we should, we, we need to go. Like he goes to spark a light between his thumb and forefinger, like you've seen him do to light his pipe all the time. Uh, all right. So I'm still just trying to cover everybody and waiting. They're moving closer to something. I want to make sure I can... Uh, can I see what they're walking towards? Yeah, you can see it fine. It looks like uh, it's just an old bundle of rags. You know, rags and sticks and an old coat, really, lying there in a big mess on the, on the floor. Okay. I'm just ready in action to shoot anything that looks like it's attacking one of us. Okay, well, since none of you are looking that way... When the lights fall out of the overhead onto Juro, you are all surprised. Get get them off. Get them off. Good news or bad news, Juro? Good news first this time, please. One of them hits you. Six points of damage. 
Alright, that'll go to my arcane ward. So a brief flash against my body uh, seems to indicate that I've been protected somehow. Okay, so from above you in the scrub and brambles, it seems that four of these air plants have twisted themselves into roughly starfish shapes with their roots grasping and their tap roots questing around. One of them raises itself into a roughly bipedal form, totters its way off towards Magrin. Was I able to take a shot at the thing when it attacked her? Uh, they were ready, and this is their surprise action. The next one that drops on to Finn, uh, he spent a lot of time in the forest. Ambush predators that drop on you from above. So when one drops on him, he just rolls with it, and it slides off his back. Why did that happen twice? All right, because I rolled twice. But then that's a crit for the next one. So I can choose between Garnak or Vesper and... Uh, I'm going to leave it to Vesper, Vesper Lower High. Hi. It gets Garnak. Okay, so the only one who got hit was Garnak. So Garnak, you also take six points of damage. Now, from above you, uh, all that scrub brush resolves itself into these starfish anemone looking collections of branches and wood that fall down upon you and try to grab a hold when they land on the pair. When one lands on the back of Juro's neck, it drills its taproot into the base of where his spine meets his skull and is burned away by the white hot point of magic it finds there. The blight peels itself off of him and rolls back off, unable to make any sort of sound, but scuttering painfully away. Uh, the one that goes off towards Magrin kind of rolls in a big slapping collection of branches and twigs and scratching tendrils, and then Garnak clears it off with one of the rounds from his can. It doesn't even get close. The problem with that, though, is he's not looking out for himself, so that one nails him for six points of damage. Finn, as mentioned, has one drop on him, but his reflexes are quick enough that he rolls with it. Spins around, covers it with his rifle. Next up is Vesper. How many of these things are on the ground with us? Four. How close are they to me? Not very this time, in fact. Things that are falling from up top. Uh, like Unlike the last time you came here, you didn't walk into this one, so... Now everybody else knows how terrible that is. Who are you going to help? I am going to need a constitution save from the blight that is atop of Juro. Well, that's a big fat too. So that thing will take six points of ice damage as Frostbite flies from her hand towards it. All right, so as that one falls off of Juro's ward and skitters away painfully, you snow it under with a blast of frost and snow. It, its branches rhyme, and you see its, its movement gets stiff and slow, and finally it, it just kind of crinkles up there. Over to you, Juro. Well, that was, that was terribly frightening. What, what the hell? And uh, it's then that you see Vesper crisp this thing with frost three left what are you doing you've recovered your wits now oh thank you vesper okay i'm gonna flick a firebolt towards uh the one on garnak okay roll the hit get it off get it off that's gonna be a uh 20 yeah 22 to hit that's got him roll your damage it's three, but they are vulnerable to fire. Yes, they are. So six. Interestingly enough, it only has four hit points. So that one on Garnak, after Vesper glues the one that was attacking you to the floor with frost, you incinerate the one on Garnak. These things have been sitting here for so long. 
without feeding their roots on blood that they have dried out to tinder. And your firebolt nails it in the center of its bodily mass. If you've ever seen a root ball get thrown onto a campfire, all of the little capillary roots and questing tendrils that were pulling at Garnak just disintegrate into orange and then to ash. Lovely. That said, it's Finn's turn. So Finn is um, feels this spiky thing land on his back, goes into a roll, comes up on his feet, and is going to slash at it with his machete. Perfect. The machete comes off the small, comes out of the small of your back uh, with a quick, vicious chopping arc. Roll the hit. That's a twenty-five. Well, that's got him. Just like clearing scrub back home. Just like it. What damage did you do? I did four. And that's perfect. You chop this thing in half, and this like reddish ichor comes floating or comes flowing out of either half as the branches stiffen and then still. Well, that's. I don't know, that's all of them. Okay. Garnak. Wasn't there one going after Magrin? Yes, there was going there was one going after Magrin, but that's the one that I was going to let you shoot. Excellent. Yeah, except I think I might have failed. I got a twelve. No, well, that's got him. Alright. So that would be twelve damage. So I'd probably I'll get ready to drop the gun and reach for my battle axe when Juro knocked the thing off of me. So I'll probably try to brush off some of the cinders and turn around and take a shot over at the one going at Magrin. Yep, so you're brushing cinders off. Uh, the, it turns out that that one was uh, trying to break your mechanical foot, which is why, you know, yes, it hurt. You got some good scratches, and it might have done you, but Gerald burnt it off, right? He also did a number on that pant leg. Sorry. Does not hurt my feelings at all. I'm not being eaten. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yes, you flatten the one that's that was on Magrin. Just nail it square on. Boom! Twelve points of damage. It it's blown to flinders. Everyone, all right? I think so. Thanks to Vesper, I'm no worse for the wear. We might want to burn a little bit more of that plant. So I take it everybody's all facing each other and talking to each other right now? Yeah, catching our breath. Looking around. I am doing the same as Garnak. I am looking around and also keeping an eye on the ceiling in case any more show up. Finn's gonna look back towards the corner where the body was. Well, as you turn around, Finn, that thing jumps out of where it was laying completely, just out of a prone position in a tangle of sordid disarray into a leaping at you, teeth and claws and burning eyes and farmer's hat and sack for a head with a rope necktie scarecrow leaps across the room, shrieking with its claws outstretched to catch you by the throat. Wouldn't it technically have to go through Vesper first because she was in front of Finn in that direction? No, because it jumped behind it. It's jumping at him from behind. He turned around. Ah, gotcha. And it rolled a two, so it goes sailing right over Finn. Incredibly high. It was a, it was a, it was terrifying until you realized it was much too high. Watch it sail right over and land in the middle of everybody, where it lands in a feral crouch. You barely had to duck for it to miss you, Finn. It was surprising, but like kind of a uh, kind of a jolt, more than an actual piss your pants. Yeah, got the old blood pumping. Yeah. So yeah, this uh, this humanoid sort of figure, made of rotting clothes and sticks and twigs and straw and a hat, lands right in the middle of all of you in a circle, with the light beaming down in it from above. It uh, looks at Juro and then back at Finn and then over at Juro and then back at Garnak and then over to Magrin and then back at Vesper and finally at Juro before it squares its shoulders and goes to move and you all get a free attack. Take it from the top. 
Yep, let's go from the top. So Magrin. Scared speechless. Yeah. So yeah, this uh, this scarecrow turns its ragged face to Magrin, and such as it is, the two holes in the sack that hangs beneath the rotten hat that makes up its head rotates to face our doughty little doctor. And uncharacteristically, in fact, unlike many halflings, you see her face go slack with fear and she freezes where she stands. It can't get around you yet, Finn, but it's a good thing because Magrin is locked there. All right, next up, Vesper. Calm save from the Scarecrow, please. No problem. What do you roll? 20. It's right there in the uh, sandbox. Oh, mine hasn't shown up, so sorry. No worries. Two points of ice damage as another flick of the wrist and frost springs from her fingers. The frost just settles on it. It doesn't do anything to it. Yeah, you nail this thing, but it's got nothing to freeze. Like, really, it's just sticks and twigs and hay. And that works just as well cold. Does not slow it down at all. Next would be Juro. That's going to be a uh, 13 to hit. Yep, for 8 damage, I see that. Well, you do hit it for 8 damage, which, because it's vulnerable, is 16. So the frost coats it thickly with moisture, which Juro then blasts right off with fire. The Scarecrow spins at this and kind of staggers off to one side as it turns into Finn's turn. Finn is going to try and position himself, well, engage hand-to-hand, and try and position himself between it and Magrin to protect his aunt. And he's going to roll to attack. One sec. That's a 23. Very good. The rifle is slung across your back. The machete is is in your hand. You're kind of circling with this thing as it turns away from Juro and more towards you. You give it a swat with your machete. It turns away from Magrin and pays attention to you. It reaches out with a claw, just kind of takes a tentative swipe, and you smash it away with your machete. It reaches out with its other hand instantly to grab you, as though that swat had powered the shot to grab it, but you slip that one and bring your machete around, roll to attack. Do you mean to damage? Uh, yes, roll damage. Uh, seven. Okay, so that's a good deep chunk, and uh, your machete cuts through the thick cloth of this old coat that is full of straw to uh, wedge itself in the broomhandle humerus of this construct. It reaches out with its other hand and, you know, tries to grab hold of your hair, but you just slip your hand away. Now it's close enough to grapple with you. But it's not its turn yet, because you all get a free round of attacks. Now that we are through Finn, that leaves Garnak. Can I get an angle to get a clean shot? Uh, won't risk one of the people on the team. Way too close to shoot anybody in here right now. I'll drop the can chucker, pull out the battle axe, and move up to take a swing. I got a 10 on the attack roll. Okay, so uh, that's... You need 11, unfortunately, so I'll let, I'll let you have a hit with a consequence. I'll take it. Nine damage. All right, so you step forward and uh, take the swing. Expecting your ankle to pivot, you find that there is a chunk of charcoal lodged in a key rotative point of your ankle joint. Uh, You take the swing, you hit the scarecrow, but your ankle just ping, a pin comes flying out, and your foot comes off. You, uh, You land on your ass next to this scarecrow. Nothing to it. You could just... You'll have to get up and step into it, but it's going to cost you five feet of movement now to get up. 
if I still have movement, I get myself back up to my feet and try to plant the peg as well as I can and get some balance. There's a bit there where you you wobble around on your one leg until you realize that the hydrostatic compensators in the calf part of your leg, like in the calf compartment, which gives your your gait its natural rolling motion. Thinking quickly, you stomp the peg onto the floor and then lift your leg up quickly so the hydrodynamic compensator automatically lengthens the leg for the impact. If you don't put too much weight on it, it should stay extended and make up the extra distance to the floor now. You won't have a problem with movement, but you will have to put your foot on and reset it once this is done. Top of the round with Magrin. Magrin, Finn has just interposed himself between you and this vicious scarecrow who uh, turns baleful eyes upon you. And as you feel the wave of fear wash over you, you remember there is nothing that can stop you. You're Magrin. You're a pioneer of science and fear is for the unenlightened. It washes over you for just a moment and you let it you experience it in its full flower, and it's delightful. It's kind of a tingle, fear. It makes everything fire so much more quickly. Ooh, that thing's kind of terrible, really. Probably do some damage. Good thing Finn's in the way. You're up. Um, I'd like to cast Guiding Bolt at it, but I guess I'm going to describe it because it's a bit weird. Um... So from her hair, she removes uh, a small glass vial uh, with two chambers in it. Um, and then she proceeds to chuck it at the um, hideous scarecrow. Um, and then spell attack. Um, and that's a 16 to hit range spell attack. That'll get him. The glass vial crashes against the scarecrow, um, and he goes up um, in a flash of bright light, and it would be 20 damage. Okay. Plus, uh, anyone who attacks it gets advantage due to the guiding light. No, they don't either, because it fixes its baleful glare on you, you throw your glass vial to the floor beneath its feet, the chemicals mix, and then the vial just explodes in the fluorescent column of light. The chemicals work perfectly, as they always do. You don't know why it's so hard for anybody else to get it right. You, you throw your vial, it mixes when it hits the scarecrow, bounces off, breaks on the floor, pillar of fluorescent light goes blasting up through the branches and brush and detritus above and in fact knocks that whole lid flipping off into the yard. A bright stream of glorious morning sunshine fills the room and the scarecrow completely collapses. So, uh, Magrin nukes this scarecrow where it stands. This grotto, now that the creepy blight-infested roof has been blown off, is actually quite... Well, the, it was quite tastefully done. There were tiles in the walls, and now you see that there are various genitalia of various descriptors from various species painted in various media in various places on the murals on the wall. That's clapping. Vesper's just laughing as she looks around. Just like, you people. So, this is such horrible drawings, honestly. I don't understand how you could be so horrible at drawing these things. Oh yes, because the uh, the tiefling equivalent is, I'm sure, just uh, the the perfect you know, the, the perfect representation. Well, of course, everybody knows that. I mean, it's not like you'll ever find out, Professor. So let me just tell you, tieflings are much much better. 
Were those plants like from a magical origin? I'm guessing. Those, now that you have a chance to look at them, um, and Magrin, you have two halves to add to your specimen jars. So does Karnak, you can split them. Like, you remember, Nick did, or sorry, Finn did cut one in half. So there are, there's one laying in half for you both to study as you will. All right, I, I try an arcana check to see if I can see a magical origin to the creatures. And that's a nine. Uh, you, they, they don't seem to be like they, they were, the sap was thick and reddish, right? But there's nothing in the bark to indicate that it's a, a red plant, right? There's no red wood. The wood itself is gray, right? So once the red sap makes no sense, you'll have to look at this in the lab with your books, right? Right now, you don't have anything on you. Your field guide has, you know, your field guide has nothing like this in it. Um, and why not when these things clearly do grow here? Worth adding anyway. I'm going to uh, kick the uh, kick around a few of the blight corpses, you know, the charred remains, the frosted remains, uh, as well as the head of the scarecrow that managed to fall off uh, somewhere on the floor, and and say, so you think we should have picked up some. Uh, Magical pruning shears at the uh, at the store. Finn crouches down next to. Is there is there anything left of the scarecrow? Uh, just uh, well, everything that constituted it. Yeah. You uh, you're you're gonna kneel down and see what there's left of it and looking through it. Basically, yeah, I want to take some kind of trophy. Okay, um, you're looking through it and around the center. Broom, the center hand, like the center broomstick that uh, made the spine of this thing up. You're not sure how it bent like that either. Magic is weird. But around the center broom handle that formed the spine of this thing, there appears to be a shiny brass ring. I will take it. Okay, so, um, Jiro. I. There are many magic rings in this world, and none of them are to be taken lightly. Indeed. Once you see Finn taking what is clearly to your witch site a magic ring off the broom handle which forms the core of this scarecrow, it might be noteworthy. Yeah, I'm going to put my hand over his and just mutter do not put that on. I will not be able to save you if you put that on. Should I even touch it? Well, it's a little late for that, but uh, I don't see any ill effect. You know what? Let me do something here. And I will pull out a little bit of uh, iron powder and sprinkle it on Finn. And uh, place an etheric aegis over him. So you crack the pouch, and as always, just the fucking scent of that shit, that that iron dust, that cold iron anti-magical bullshit. It, it rotten. It's like walking around with a big jar of cyanide at your waist, but it's necessary, right? And just the smell of it every time it hits you right in the back of your throat. I get. I have. I have uh, permanent scarring on my fingertips from uh, just countless blisters casting this spell. The the iron just makes my flesh crawl. You throw the grains onto him, and the spell takes effect. And I thank you for putting the smell on me. To you, Finn, it smells like uh, wet pennies. To Juro, being an elf to whom cold iron is anathema. It's uh, it's a much less pleasant experience. But it's a necessary evil, as this spell requires a little pinch of it. Anyway, where to from here, folks? Is there any of the reddish sap from the blight still on the ground? Yes. Vesper is going to go over it to it, touch it, see how fresh it is and then 
give it a sniff and or a taste to see if she can tell what it came from. Okay. Uh, roll investigation. 18. That's the smell. It smells as though it has been sitting for years. It's thick and sludgy, and uh, there's nothing vital about it. It only resembles the blood of plants in that it is liquid and somewhat viscous. Hmm. They have been without food for a long time. Perhaps we should keep moving. We're looking for undead. We found some. Which dwarf in? Well, I think we need to head towards the the north path because it leads back towards the house. And that's where we want to do this exorcism in the first place, isn't it? Juro? It's... I need to be able to map out the entire structure if I want to perform any sort of cleansing on this place. The geomantic work alone is going to take three or four hours. So start in the middle and work our way out. Well, we have to find the middle first for that. I get the sense that it's not far. We are, after all, on an island, and the underground part of it can't be that sprawling. Please tell me you didn't just say that, Elf. You'd be very surprised, Professor. Maybe I will be. Gardax muttering dwarven curses as it goes off. Just So, you're going back towards the house? I think so. All right. Well, after like as you guys are taking stock and Vesper is uh, analyzing sap and you're all discussing back and forth. I repair my foot. Squeak, stop, squeak, stop, squeak, stop. There's no shutting it off this time. You had to cannibalize the retaining pin to keep your ankle on. Oh, that's terrible. Other than that, yeah. Squeak, stop, squeak, stop, squeak, stop. Sorry, guys. I, I can't shut it off anymore. Juro just narrows his eyes. Uh huh. Well, maybe if we need to keep quiet, you just stay put there, Master Karnak. That sounds horrible, but probably what? Yeah, that might need to happen. We'll see how it goes. If I got to sit back, I could sit back. Okay, so as you head down a short hallway, which does two 90 degree bends, the first one is right away as it cuts into the wall of the grotto. And the next one is about 15 feet to the west, where it cuts another 90 to go due north into the basement of the house. Now, when you get there, um, since you're not using light, everything is in black and white. And uh, there is a door, which is built into the wall. It has no door handle. It is made of planks. It's a very plain wooden door that seems to open inward and doesn't have a handle on this side. Well, that isn't ominous at all. Do you mind if I take a few moments? Whatever they put on this side of the door was meant to stay here until it was gone. This is a feeding chamber. With the furniture? I think they're feeding the plants. I was going to suggest it's a prison cell, perhaps. There is another passageway going the opposite direction, don't forget. Adam, is there any access to the clasping mechanism that's holding the door shut from this side? Which tools do you have proficiency in, Garnick? I know you have thieves' tools. Uh, Alchemist supplies, smith's tools, thieves' tools, tinker's tools. Tinker's and uh, sleight of hand. That is a 15. Okay, so you used your spacing wedge to jam it between the planks of the door and then lift 
to raise the bar on the inside of the door. First time you lift it, it just kind of goes straight up and then straight down, right? Because you don't lift it high enough, it falls back down into the grooves, like the brackets that hold it in on the inside. The next time it's a higher lift, you hear the wood clatter onto the cobblestones on the other side of the door and uh, pull your spacing wedge back out. I wasn't as quiet as I wanted, but I think we can get through. I'm going to sidestep out of the way from the door and just try and do what I can as much as possible to limit the squeak stomp. Vesper will move up to the door and very, very slowly push it um, open, just trying to get a glimpse into the next room without fully opening it. Well, you push the door and it the hinges protest and squeal and the door kind of hangs right where you push it to, you know? The hinges open, but not easily. What can I see inside the next room? Uh, roll a perception check. Unnatural 20. Okay, you... Look in, and you see that the room within is dark. Uh, you crack the door a little more, and you can see that there's a door open in the ceiling of this room. Dim, indirect light shining in from above. As you push the door wider, a table is revealed with a bunch of chairs that fade off into the darkness of the room. A smell washes over all of you of rotting meat. And the more perceptive of you, those of you with a passive perception of 12 or better, raise your hand. Aye. I do. Garnack. Aye. So that's pretty much all of you. You can see that there are maggots floating in air about 18 inches off the floor. Uh-huh. And then there's another group that's kind of congregated in a big pile, which floats six inches off the floor. And it's the same maggots that crawled into your skin earlier, Vesper, but uh, they're having a good old time chewing away on something you can't see. Looks like we found our defeated skulk friends. Vesper sees the maggots and immediately takes about five steps backwards, um, just wrapping her arms around herself and stepping back. Make a dexterity save, both you and Garnak. Fifteen. Five. Okay, well, you're there goes the quiet bit, Garnak. Sorry about that, man. Not your fault. She didn't even look. She just walked right back into you. So you get out of the way, but not before you step on her tail for just a second. Not enough to hurt her or anything like that, but it makes her jump. Your feet get tangled. Long story short, by the end of it, you're still standing and she's not. Hey, Vesper, you're on your back again around these maggots. So I need you to make a wisdom save. 16. Okay, not so bad. They're over there, they're over there, they're not fast. But holy shit, just for a minute there was that flash, right? Whew, okay, you got this. You're a devil from hell after all. You don't scare easy. Shall we take care of these once and for all, Vesper? I, while we're talking, I pull out a chain and throw it around Vesper's neck. Say, hey, before we go any farther, put this on. Vesper is currently, she rolled onto her knees and she's facing away and just very, very slightly shaking as she's just staring at these rock grubs trying to compose herself as the chain falls on her neck. It is absolutely nothing for you to light these up, Gerald. Wonderful. I start blasting away. It's two words, and you snap your fingers twice, and uh, the skulk the skulk starts to immolate itself from within. Finn will pull the little uh, 
pump actions bottle of kerosene out of his pack and where Juro sent his fire, he's gonna sort of spray to make it spread to the rest of the grubs. Very good, yeah. Juro blasted both of the congregations right in the middle. Now this is weird too, because uh, now that you've sprayed kerosene on it, you can see the kerosene kind of flowing down the invisible hide of this thing. And uh, as the heat of the fire causes the kerosene to burn, there's just like streams of fire pouring down this thing. And then the skin begins to burn through and the fire which had been consuming the skulk from within is visible. It's the weirdest thing. It's like a fire just burns a hole in the sky in front of you. Like just burns itself into existence and then it burns out. We came prepared this time, Professor. Indeed. <laughs> it's almost it's almost funny now. I am the god of hell fire! And I bring you Ringlanders is recorded live and curated, produced, and edited by me with indispensable help from Cassie Goodwin-Harrison, Matthew Harrison, Chris Stockavaz, Greg Setnick, and Carrie Copley. All the usual people played all the usual parts, and if you want to know more about them, you can find out all about them, all about the little Easter eggs that I scattered through these episodes, and so much more at runelanders.com. Watch for our vastly improved website coming up soon. That'll about do it for this episode. Next time on Moonlanders, we're gonna have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We'll see you then. I'm DM Matt Adam. I'm DM Good Guy. Reminding you to roll high and don't die. Until next. Take good care. Take you to burn.